Hello and welcome to this episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Cherry Reynard and with me today is Ben Seeger-Scott, Head of Multi-Asset Funds. We're going to be discussing rate rises, recessions and taking a look at how the energy crisis might impact European companies. We're recording this on Tuesday the 9th of August 2022. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Okay, welcome, Ben. Um, Now, the US raised rates by 75 basis points this month, which was in line with expectations. Uh, but it came in spite of two quarters of negative growth, a technical, if not an official, recession. Um, given the influence of the US economy on the wider global economy, how worried are you about this weakness? Well, uh, as always, it's never quite straightforward, particularly when it comes to US uh, and recessions. Of course, you're exactly right that the US is effectively the global tenant for uh, the the global economy. And there's a saying, when the US sneezes, the world catches a cold. So, you know, whatever happened in the US, no matter where you are in the world, from an investment point of view, you need to to take notice. And the US economy is important, not just in and of itself. Obviously, it is the largest global economy. But as a sort of secondary factor, the, the, the US dollar is the global reserve currency. It's also the global trading currency. And the US Federal Reserve controls it but they're focused very much on the US domestic economy to a greater or lesser extent. So what happens in the US is hugely important uh, globally. However, with the US, it's not straightforward because what we're seeing, and the reason we had those two negative quarters of GDP growth, that's driven by things like business investment, uh, government spending, inventories. But actually, we're seeing consumers are still pretty pretty confident, pretty robust. Consumer spending is, is still at a relatively high level and the labour market is all very tight as well. And actually, my, my colleague Rob Clary wrote a great article on this. So that's up on the website. I encourage anyone to have a read in more detail. And the key point is that those two negative quarters, that's about a technical recession. And that's the, what we use as, as, our, as our typical guide. But the US is different. The US actually that their rules on a, a recession isn't declared by us, it's declared by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And actually, they look at more detailed uh, aspects. So they will look at consumer spending, they'll look at industrial activity, uh, personal income, employment, and ru- a much broader range of metrics. And actually, on that basis, even Janet Yellen um, has, has suggested it's probably quite unlikely they'll declare a recession. So actually, when we look at that sort of consumption, it doesn't feel like a recession, and that's what the US focuses on. And I think that speaks to the nuance, the fact that, yes, there's been this technical uh, two quarters of negative growth, but actually a lot of the the economic fundamentals are are, are still pretty robust. So even though it got a lot of news, there's no actual new information here for the market to digest. And 
you know, looking closer to home, the Bank of England also raised rates and gave a, a really gloomy prognosis for the UK economy and inflation. Um, you know, it said the recession would start in the fourth quarter. Uh, it now looks inevitable. It looks like it might be prolonged. Um, do you have, you know, a sense of what that means for the corporate sector? Again, was this kind of new news, if you like? Oh yeah, I mean it, it was it was a bleak outlook, and it was surprisingly bleak if you consider that they had a, a relatively optimistic um, outlook back in May. It has been quite a significant change in their forecasting. Obviously, the the five quarters uh, of recession taking us all the way through next year, double digit, digit inflation, caught, exacerbated by by the energy price cap rise. So it is um, it, it is pretty depressing overall. But I think it's worth considering what's already factored in and some of the details there's there's lots of evidence that we are probably heading for some sort of recession in the next few years that evidence has been mounting we've talked in in previous podcasts actually from the fed they've talked about this narrow path and how it's narrowing i think we've said before that's sort of signaling you know hold on for, for a bit of a downturn but i think it is worth reframing that in one sense recessions are a natural part of the cycle they always ha- it always has been and probably always will be and not all recessions are equal so it's not a case that a recession is necessarily like we saw post global financial crisis that was deep and very painful actually a relatively shallow recession followed by recovery can be a positive for longer term investors it allows uh, the the economy to sort of recycle unproductive assets into into better investments. And from that point of view, even though the Bank of England's forecast is for quite a long recession, it's actually currently only forecasting a sort of peak to trough fall in terms of GDP of minus 2.1%. And that's pretty mild um, overall. And I think for us, the question is actually, is the Bank of England the only bank that's actually being realistic in its forecasts now? A lot of the other central banks are still being relatively positive. It could be the the Bank of England is taking the lead in saying, actually, yes, there will be a recession, but it could potentially be more mild. And I think, you know, to, to your point on on corporates, what corporations and, and companies in the UK and globally are looking for is actually more clarity in terms of when interest rates might stabilise, but actually perhaps a need to, to manage through in the short term. More importantly, though, I think they will be looking out the other side of uh, of any potential downturn. Central banks and governments have a lot of firepower to kickstart economies on the other side, particularly now that interest rates are being reset. The higher interest rates are now, the quicker inflation may come under control. And of course, the central banks are, are, are quite incentivized to use that rhetoric to talk down inflation. But once it is under control, when you have interest rates at a higher level, it gives you much more scope to cut them to stimulate on the other side. So I think it's going to be very important how companies are able both to manage in the short term, maybe looking at a few, uh, controlling some of their costs, but also how they manage on the other side. We are seeing quite a lot of business investment continuing in a way it hasn't for much of the last decade, because businesses increasingly are looking at capex, capital expenditure, that is on the other side, and how they kickstart growth. So again, it is more nuanced, some caution in the short term, but actually increasingly looking to the other side and perhaps the, the next business cycle. What extent has this economic weakness been priced into stock markets? I mean, from what I've seen, 
markets have been relatively untroubled by this? Well, I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that, um, you know, there's no new information here. It's a forecast of a potential downturn, but that's really when the where the market has been moving. We've seen broad weakness uh, in, in the first half of this year, and that started with concerns over inflation and interest rates, moved in the second quarter more towards concerns around growth. Uh, so to some extent, this is just the central banks, they periodically update their forecasts, but the market has moved well ahead of that. And that's why actually markets um, have taken it largely in their stride. If you look a little bit more globally, um, our, our calculations suggest the US market is pricing in around about a 40% chance of recession in the US. That seems quite reasonable, not a base case, but quite a large tail risk. And obviously, we just talked about that the technical elements of recession in the US. I think the UK is in a similar position, um, but actually it's worth remembering when we talk about markets, the UK market actually derives most of its revenue from overseas and some of the more domestically focused uh, parts of the market. So there's medium and small smaller companies are actually a bit more of a discount. Again, potentially discounting in a, a, a mild recession. So I think it's going to be really important from here see is there going to be any positive news it could see a little bit more of a bounce but there is always the risk uh, the markets fall further i think we've got comfortable with the sense that yes there might be a mild downturn i think it's still an open question you know this this narrow path we talk about can we get away with a fairly mild downturn and then growth on the other side but if we don't get a proper handle on, on, on these things and by us i mean collectively the authorities then it could be uh, a little Deeper. So I think there are uh, th there are some nuances there, um, but I think some element is already priced in. So really, that the latest reports are just catching up on that. But you know, it's the outlook from here that that's more important. And I mean, actually, looking back over July, um, that was, that was a pretty good month for equity markets. I mean, UK large cap equities rose around four percent. Um, is this just a sort of temporary rally within the context of an otherwise quite gloomy market? Or is something actually, you know, prompting improved sentiment? Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, markets are characterised by these sort of short-term bounces, short-term falls. This is why I always say it, it's, it's much more important to get invested, take a long-term view and you know take these these market undulations and they're likely to continue it's a frequent characteristic of pretty much all all risk assets but i think really there's been two different factors at play one is a realization i think and this is why equities have done well but so have government bonds so those yields on, on bonds have fallen yields move in the opposite direction to, to price and as some of those worst fears have come back in that's provided a little bit, uh, a little bit of a boost. This sense that maybe if we are heading towards a slowdown, that will allow central banks to be a little less aggressive at uh, at some point, hopefully relatively soon. That's helped buoy markets, uh, particularly the, the areas that have suffered uh, most recently. And there is this key point around the, the what's being called the Fed pivot. Now there is this sense, and I think that's what's been reflected over the last month in valuations uh, and, and bond yields. That the Fed, which has thus far uh, this year so far been pretty pretty aggressive on interest rates, hawkish in in, in financial language, so a hawkish Fed actually 
might now start to be a little bit more relaxed. So, you know, we talk about turning from being hawkish to dovish, and there's a sense maybe the Fed is going to pivot to softer language. Um, I think there is some risk in there. Central banks are very much focused on bringing inflation under control. So I think we're still looking for signs that inflation is peaking and probably is starting to come down. There are signs in that that are sort of further out. Longer term inflation expectations are anchored. So hopefully that will allow some of the nearer term aspects to come down. But I think until we see manifest signs of that, the Fed and the Bank of England are still likely to be uh, quite hot on interest rates. But maybe it soothes things in, in the medium term, and that's helping markets. I think one of the other points, more positively, in, uh, in, in July is that we're starting to see, or we have seen a lot more earnings reports, so really getting a good look at company fundamentals. Up until now, when we haven't had those earnings season, uh, it's been news flow and it's been sort of sentiment that's driven markets. This has been a good opportunity to say, how are companies actually doing? And company fundamentals uh, are largely what drive the share, drives the share price. And what we've seen there, actually, I mean, it's been a little mix, but it's been pretty positive overall. Company earnings, are, on the whole, are holding up pretty well. Um, consumers are remaining pretty confident they're still spending. And, and because a tight employment market enables some of those wages sort of in the middle cohort to, 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 keep, uh, to, to keep on chucking along, consumers, of course, still have quite plush balance sheets in aggregate from the COVID years. And I think that's injected some fundamental positivity. Um, you know, you go back to, to June, I think all of us were feeling there's a lot of bad news, everything is awful. And that's why at the time we sort of advocated, don't fixate all on the negative, there could be some positives. And I think that's the sort of more balanced view that we saw come through in July. And, you know, was there any nuance to the type of companies that did well or did badly? I mean, I know it's very short term, but uh, it, it seemed like technology did a little bit better, but some commodity prices kind of came off in a kind of reversal of what had been happening at the start of the year. So so if you could just give some sort of colour around that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's exactly that. It, everything that's done badly relatively recently has done a little bit better in July. Everything's been riding high, has given back some of those gains. I mean, we talk a lot in, in financial markets about mean reversion, and these are these cycles that you see, and it's very hard to time those cycles. It's, it, it's a little bit of a fool's game, I think, trying to get those cycles right. Really, what you're trying to look at is what are they cycling around? What's that longer-term trend? And that's what we try and, and, and harness. And you're exactly right. The areas that are most sensitive in a negative way to, to higher interest rates tend to be those more growthy companies. They have their earnings further out in the future. That actually means interest rates tend to impact impact them more, that much more. So areas like IT, consumer discretionary as well, some of those sort of higher end names that you can choose spend money on or you might row back first. They, they've been hit pretty hard in recent months and they had a little bit of a bounce as some of those interest rates came back in and, and the outlook became a little rosier. And as you say, on, on the flip side, some of the areas that have been leading recently, particularly energy, they came under some relative pressure. Also, healthcare. Healthcare is a very uh, tends to be a very good defensive sector. It tends to sort sort of chug along because people don't, you know, people don't increase their healthcare spending in the good times and cut back in the bad times. It tends to be fairly steady, and that was uh, a little bit of a laggard as well. It's worth saying though, these were relative 
most in pr pretty much all equity sectors made gains. So what we're talking about here is the areas that did the, the, the best and some of the areas that did the worst still made positive gains, but, but were, were laggards. And obviously on energy, um, oils continue to weaken. Actually, look today, it's back below $100 a barrel. So that's really taken the shine off some of those, those positive energy names that have been soaring earlier in the year. I also just wanted to talk about Europe a little bit. I mean, it's really been in the eye of the storm on the global energy crisis. And there have been, you know, really quite apocalyptic headlines about, you know, the, the possibility of energy running low in the winter. Um, are you kind of worried about the impact of energy shortages on the Eurozone economy? And, you know, are there, are there areas where you think that pain will be particularly acute? Well, I think it's it, it's clearly a factor. Europe has all sorts of issues facing it. It has the energy crisis itself. It has the broader impact of, of having, unfortunately, a war uh, right on its doorstep. Uh, it also has some of the challenges we've seen before. Debt crises, which when interest rates have been extremely low, has generally sort of gone away. Now they're starting to rise again. Um, those concerns are rearing their head again, particularly in, in areas such as Italy. So Europe has has a lot of challenges and all of these factors we're, we're watching quite closely. Of course, one has to look at what's the outlook, but also what's being priced in. And that's not always straightforward. I think when it comes to, to energy specifically, some of the immediate risks around the Nord Stream pipeline, this concern that it might not reopen after scheduled maintenance, that hasn't come to pass. That is being um, sort of managed through. Um, and I think it does mean the outlook is still unclear. As we head towards winter, there's this big question, can Europe introduce some of the, the, the planned cuts to its broad energy usage? Can it get enough you know, liquefied natural gas? Uh, can it get those shipments up to, up to speed? Can it import uh, enough gas and store it to manage through a winter? And we don't know the sort of severity of winter that we're facing. So it's clearly an unknown. Um, what I would say, Europe really is the master of muddling through and kicking the can down the road. And when it comes to gas, I think what has, what's been clear through through the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict thus far, there is this underlying pra pragmatic sense that Russia needs to export this energy to Europe. Yes, it has some other customers on the other side, but the infrastructure is not quite as as robust and Europe needs, needs that gas. So in, in all of the other aspects, there has been this sort of muddled through um, case. Now, that could get worse or it could get better depending on, on, on how the war and, and diplomatic efforts go. But I think to a greater or lesser extent, it's it, it's a pretty known uh, known risk, a known unknown um, at, at the very least. And I think in terms of who it will hit, everyone is focused obviously on, on industry. Um, industrial processes can be very energy intensive. And if there is a requirement to scale back, I think it's those energy intensive industrial areas that will be hit first. Obviously, the priority will be to keep consumers homes or you know, uh, electorate homes um, kept warm, potentially at the cost of some of the more energy intensive areas. So obviously, that's something that we'll keep an eye on. But Europe is, it is an area we're keeping a, a broader focus on. There are lots of individual issues. Um, I would highlight on, on the energy point, 
My, uh, another one of my colleagues, David Goebel, uh, has just written an article on that. In fact, I'm reviewing it uh, today. So that's going to go up on, on the website shortly. That goes into a lot more detail on uh, the energy crisis in Europe. So, I, you know, I, I'd very much advocate people taking a look at that if you want to find out more about this. Great. Um, and then I guess just to wrap up, um, anything you'd highlight from your current positioning, you know, whether that's relative equity bond positioning, any sort of sector over underweights or, or, ge or regional kind of um, uh, differentiation? Yeah, I, I think in, in terms of equity, the last few weeks has been a useful remind, reminder of what we talk about, the risks of being too cautious too early, how markets are likely to fluctuate. So trying to time that, getting in and out of cash, I think is is really hard to do. I think it's important, more important to stay invested, but also look at your diversification. I know it sounds like quite quite a boring story, but I think the best way to manage through uncertainty is make sure you're not concentrated uh, and, uh, and really predicated on any one particular outcome. Um, I think some of the areas that have been most hard hit, we've been guiding to sort of top up. So some of those uh, those names in consumer discretionary IT, where you have had exposure, we've been guiding to top up on that weakness and, and hopefully that, that's borne fruit. I also think looking further out, we've said there are some challenges down the road. And I think when you do have these market undulations, it can be an opportunity to top up some of those more defensive areas, particularly the likes of healthcare and utilities, um, again, looking towards next year, it's almost impossible to get the timing right on this, but starting to position for some of these, these more defensive areas can be beneficial sort of within equity. So don't be afraid to hold some of those more defensive names. More broadly, looking at equities versus bonds, we've been advocating in terms of our central guidance to start adding a little bit more government bonds for appropriate mandates. There's lots of different ways to, to manage the outlook. But I think as government bonds have sold off and as yields have become more attractive, these can really be useful parts of a multi-asset portfolio. Government bonds will, will pay you a sort of steady income. But importantly, if interest rates do have to be cut, it's government bonds that benefit from that in terms of price movement. And they can also buffer against shocks. In a multi-asset portfolio, you really want some offsets to your equity, to your equity type risk. And that's what government bonds can do. You know, this asset class has been unappealing for the best part of a decade. Now it's finally getting to a state where it might be able to, to do its job in a multi-asset portfolio. Great. OK, thank you, Ben, for that roundup. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, all references and lines spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. And you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including the one Ben mentioned there, a piece on the US economy called When is a Recession Not a Recession? Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so, and you can rate and review us in the App Store. Until next time.